Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. Okay, anybody have any questions to begin with tonight? Yes. Yes. I do. Why did God, why was God angry with, with, with Balaam when God told Balaam to go? I find Balaam to be one of the most intriguing and confusing episodes in Scripture. It's actually a question I was going to ask, but since you asked it, let me just start with it. And uh, let me get to the right place here. 22, 22. Uh, I'm, I'm getting to the question I was going to ask about Balaam. Because it is... Uh, it's important. So my, my question that I was going to ask just falls in line with this. Who was Balaam? What do we know about Balaam? So he was what? He was what? He was a prophet. I would argue probably never for God, but... Yeah, it sounds like he's a pagan from what scripture says about him. Yeah, what what we know is... Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. According to Joshua chapter um, 13, 21, these are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with... Uh, it's not the right one. Uh, this is... What happened, my... This way. Come on now. Do what I tell you to do. Balaam, also the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with the word or with the sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. We we also read in Second Peter two fifteen, um, forsaking the right way they have gone astray they have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor who loved gain from wrongdoing he was not a good guy is what that's telling us or you can go to what Jude 11 woe to them for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion I don't specifically know what Jude was talking about here, but I find it interesting that all the references outside of the Numbers passage concerning Balaam put him in a very poor light. We don't know much about him. Joshua 13.11. I'm sorry, 13.22. It's on your screen now. He's kind of a mystery to me. He lived in northern Mesopotamia, northern Iran, Iraq. Yet the king south uh, south in the east of the Dead Sea hired him to be a prophet for him. 
So how did that happen? I don't know. Did Balaam know Jehovah God? I don't know. Um, Jehovah God spoke to him and he listened. But that doesn't necessarily indicate that he knew who Jehovah God was. So how the king... Go ahead. I have a cross-reference, Numbers 31-16, through the council of Balaam, he incited the people of Israel to trespass against the Lord. Right. Yeah, there's there's no references to there's no references to Balaam that make him look like a good guy. But how he was known to the king in Edom, I don't know, or Moab, wherever it was, I don't know. How all of that worked, we don't have any clue. And and so we have this picture throughout Scripture of a a less than desirable guy who is. I would say a charlatan at best that is uh, seeking to gain money by doing spiritual things. So that leaves us to to consider then why why this account? What 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 is added to the overall context of the book of Numbers, this short account of Balaam? And I think the answer to that question is that the event is recorded to give Israel and us a picture that tells us that all who claim the voice of God are not always from God. And, and I think that's important for us to recognize not everybody speaking for God is from God. God's chosen people, both Old Testament chosen people and, and the church, we need to be discerning on how and where they hear the word of God. We need to pay attention to who God is and who's speaking for God. Um... I don't want to say that what's going on at Asbury, Asbury Seminary, is uh, is false. But some of the people speaking for God in that place, I don't trust. And so you have you have to be discerning about where you hear God speak to you, and through whom, and in what means. We need to be discerning whether the leaders properly speak for God. And just because somebody's labeled pastor or teacher or elder or prophet doesn't, it conveys a sense of authority, but it doesn't necessarily um, speak about who they truly are. That still doesn't explain to me why God was angry with him when he went, since God told him to go. Right. We haven't gotten to that part yet. Okay. <laughs> I, I think the easy answer to that question is because he was essentially a bad guy. I mean, look at Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar did exactly what God instructed him to, or created him to do, but then God punished him because he wasn't a good guy. So I think that's probably the, the right answer, but we haven't gotten to that part yet. 
Um, I think this picture of, of Balaam is an interesting one that often just gets side sidestepped because it's an interesting account from the Old Testament and we don't see why it's there. Why something is there is, is important in the text. And, and since, since scripture all the way into uh, several passages in the New Testament show him as a bad guy, I think we need to see him in that light and not think that he was speaking for God making him a good guy. In, in many respects, it's the same as all the, uh, all the judges. You've heard me say many times before that the judges were not good guys. They may be speaking for God, they may be doing stuff for God, but God uses evil as well as he uses good. And so to me, Balaam is one of those interesting characters that I don't think we, we think enough about. So why did, so why did Balaam, Balaam always have Balak make, make seven altars? I, I think that's probably, we're not told, I think it's probably part of the pagan ritual of the of the area uh, when you look at northern Mesopotamia modern Iraq Iran uh, that is where the uh, um, Tower of Babel comes from or was that's where most fall I should say all false religion uh, religions have a nexus to and it was common in in the day and in the location for there to have to be multiple um, uh, altars. That's the word I'm looking for. Altars. Well, could that be part of the reason that guy was so upset all the time? Because they built multiple altars instead of one altar for the true God? Well, I don't think Balaam ever worshipped Jehovah God. There's just no indication of that. And what we don't have is any any record of how he would even know him. What we have is him responding to Jehovah saying something to him. That doesn't mean he knew him before. That just mean that's no different than Moses seeing God in the burning bush. He didn't know who he was, and Moses responded. And I think Balaam didn't know who God was. He just responded, and did what he was supposed to do, and was probably probably made afraid enough that he was unwilling to go against what he was told directly by God to do. Unlike Moses, who was told directly by God to do something and he didn't. Yeah. Yeah, but how would you feel if your donkey Oh yeah, yeah. He 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 was he was he's a great character that has lots of lots of interesting stuff happen, and you know the the detective in me says, well, exactly why did Moses include this story? Why is it here? And why is it where it is in the book of Numbers? It's an interesting account that sometimes we we just pass over because, oh, that was cool. Yeah, his donkey talked to him. That had to be terrifying. Well, it yeah. It was a Christmas penny, right? Um, maybe because it says the angel of the Lord. Uh, so it may be. Um, I don't know of any other Christophany where... God appeared as an animal or spoke through an animal. 
And so I wouldn't I wouldn't automatically say not every angel of the Lord is uh, is a Christophany. Sometimes no, it's, it's just, just an angel. Say it again. It says that the dog saw the angel of the Lord. The Lord. With the sword. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right. So that was probably the Christophany, not the Okay. I, I'm sorry. I, I misunderstood what you were saying, Mary. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. I'm, I'm a little slow. <laughs> yeah, right. But the story could also be there to sit Show that, that God, God can, can use even stupid, stupid animals, animals, and that the second animal, as far as I know, that talks. The snake talks, talk, and the donkey talks. Talk. Right, and and I'm proof that God can use stupid animals. Mm-hmm. You're not You're an not animal. animal. Yeah. Okay, well, You're half. That's why I'm half right. You are not an animal because God breathed the breath like life humans and he did not do that for animals. We are different. That's correct. Okay, I've been duly corrected again. I was only half right. I have had to argue that in class in school. Oh, yeah. For years now. Yeah, I, I just saw I just saw an article talking about Jane Fonda who claims to be a Christian and she just said that that we need to do everything we can to protect our brethren in the sea whales and dolphins okay you're hallucinating chick okay any other questions okay then Let's go back to my number one question. Uh, there it is. Read Numbers 11, 31 through 35. The Hebrews complained that they only had manna to eat and wanted meat. So God gave them quail to eat. So much quail that it was coming out their gills. What principle do you see in this passage? So here's the passage. Go ahead, Katrina. They're never, They're never satisfied. satisfied. Yeah, we're never satisfied, right. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up and and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on that side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. Um, some commentators want that to be two, two cubits above the ground is how deep they were. I think the better way to view that is they were flying at that height so that they could easily be scooped in the air. I was thinking a yard or three feet quail, that's a lot of quail. Right, exactly. That doesn't make sense. There's no way they could pick them up. They couldn't move to get them and so forth. It makes much more sense to interpret this, that they were flying at three feet off the ground so they could be clubbed or scooped or, or caught in a in a net or however you want to uh, to describe that. That's what Dr. Dr. MacArthur says. I'm glad he agrees with me sometimes. He does. He, 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 he said they flew at about three feet where they could easily be captured or clubbed in the ground or to the ground. Right. Good. So they were flying low. Yeah, I, I read one commentary that, that said they, they piled up uh, uh, almost three feet deep. And I no, I don't think so. That'd be pretty hard to do a, to, to move around. And people rose all, all that day and all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who had gathered least gathered ten homers. They spread them out for themselves all around the camp. 
While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore the name of that place was called uh, Kibroth Havateva. Hatava. Hatava. Because they were there they uh, buried people who had the craving. From uh, that place, the people journeyed to Hezeroth, and they remained at Hezeroth. Okay, so what principle do we do we see in this uh, in this text? Careful, Careful what you wish for. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. Exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking that, Ian. Expound on that a little. The Lord always provides over That is true, but I wouldn't derive that from this passage. I, I would say God knows better what we need than we do. And he, and he always, always provides, provides the best, best for us. For us. Okay. I mean, uh, God, God answers, answers our, our prayers, prayers sometimes. sometimes. He, he gives us what we want, want even though not, not what's what is best, best for, us. for us. Well, the, obvi the obvious answer is like you already said, you know, careful what you wish for. I, I'm not sure that's really a biblical construct, but let's <laughs> dissect the text to see if we can figure out what the principle is. The well, people complaint... I'm sorry? Did they, Did they take, take more, than more than what they were, they were supposed, supposed to? to? More than what they, they could eat? They well, were given. They were, they were given that. that the, the, the instruction for the manna was that they could only take what they could eat that day, but that wasn't the instruction, at least not recorded um, for this. The people complained that like they... I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> It seems like some of them were hoarding it, though. They had to just gouge themselves full a little bit. From just from reading the text, it seems like they were trying to take over an abundance. Yeah, they they wanted to eat meat because all they'd been eating is uh, is bread and so forth from the uh, from the manna. I don't get to eat bread that much fresh fresh bread, so I I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that. Go ahead, Ann. Well, some of them, if not all of them, ate until they were sick. Yeah. Well, God said he was going to give them so much that they would get sick of it. They were being blood. And some of them died from it. So, God sent a plague. But what... But let's 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 go through the text and figure out what what really is going on here they complained they only had manna and that they really missed meat and then they did what they said it would have been better for us to stay in egypt slaves to to a a despot unredeemed king than it was to follow god yeah. they were, that's what they, they said ungrateful. they were ungrateful right so look at verses 18 through 20 and say to the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying who will give us meat to eat for it is better for us in Egypt therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat you shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days in other words shut up I'm going to give you a lot to eat you're going to get tired of it 
This is God spiritually saying, careful what you ask for. God gave the... Exactly. God gave the Hebrews what they asked for because they rejected the Lord and His provision. Here's the creator, sustainer of the universe giving you daily food and you complain. They didn't have faith or trust in God to care for them going forward. We should. It would be better for us to be slaves making bricks in Egypt than it would be to trust God. That's what they said. That was a slap in God's face. They were God's chosen people. He was bringing them to the promised land. They had seen some tremendous miracles, but they couldn't depend on God to, to feed them. Um, I think I think the point that they were being brought to the promised land should tell us that God had an intention for them to, as his chosen people, as the, as the one small group of people in all of the world, to have a good relationship with him. And they were stepping on that. They were throwing that back in God's face. Mm-hmm. Well, they kept well, they throwing it back, back in his face all the time. time. They did. Anytime they something, right. they kept throwing it Right. Kind of like us. God promised to care for them, but they clearly did not trust God to feed them. This was a theme of the entire 40 years that they were in the wilderness. From Egypt to the promised land, that whole time, God said, I'll take care of you. I'll give you what you need. Your shoes won't wear out. You won't go hungry. You won't go thirsty. But it's better for us to be back in Egypt being slaves than to trust God. That was truly spitting in God's face. They complained about not having meat. I'm sorry, go ahead. Could that be like one of little faith? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God had demonstrated over and over again he was able to take care of them, but they didn't believe him. They wanted something else. He should have Well, remember Moses Moses and God had that conversation a couple times, right? I'll send them back or I'll kill them. And Moses had to stand in the gap and say, hey, God, wait a minute. Now, Moses didn't change God's plan. Right. So we, ha- we always have to remember that. They complained about it not having meat, and then God gave them more meat than they could tolerate. Why did God do it that way? Why didn't God just take away the meat? Why did he give them more meat? To drive home the fact that he could and did provide for them. Exactly. That he was able and did. He was saying to them, look, I'm in control. You said I didn't give you meat? Here, have some meat. Oh, have some more. Take another drumstick. I'll give you meat. Yeah, here's, here's more. Yeah. I'm in control. You're not, is what God was saying. They were nearing entry into the promised land. They would need to depend on God. Getting to, getting to the promised land, getting into the promised land, and taking the promised land would require dependence on God. They could not do it on their own. So God had to, had to go pull out all the stops, as it were, to teach them. 
So I, I think God used their unbelief to prepare them to believe. God often takes what we're focused on to rearrange our focus so that we can uh, see him better. I think that's the principle. Questions, comments? Following in that same vein, then, let's go on to uh, question number two. Numbers 13 is all about the spies sent into the promised land to spy it out and then report back to Moses and the Hebrews. What should be our takeaway from Numbers chapter 13? Lack of trust, lack of faith, except for Joshua and Caleb. I think the takeaway follows what we just saw in the previous question. Sometimes God takes us through things so we can see where we need to go. Sometimes God puts you in places so you, you go through something so you can recognize him and his control. God took, so was the land so far away that it took him 40 days to spy on it? Well, no, not, not, not so far away. They were at the border. It, it, uh, it took them some time because they had to travel around, and they just had to sit low and, and spy. If you go to Israel today, the, uh, the, the modern symbol of Israel tourism are two guys carrying a great big uh, bunch of grapes on a stick between them. Really? Yep. That's the that's the modern symbol of Israeli tourism. That's a My question is, is why did Moses want to know? Why did he need to know and send the spies out? Yeah. I I think I think it's it's good uh, strategy to do that. I think it was good uh, for, not for God to know. God didn't know, need to know what was going on. Moses and the military forces needed to know what was going on. Sure, they were depending on God for, they should have been depending on God, but they needed to know, I mean, why did the Chinese send a balloon over us? Why do we have spies in other places? Because we need to know. If we're going to defend ourselves or if we're going to take a place, we need to know what it's fortified like. Not not for God to know. He knew how he knew what he was going to do. But Moses and the, and Joshua and the, the 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 army needed to know. And they needed to know that I think they needed to know that the land was filled with Nephilim. I don't think the ten spies that gave the report that the land was filled with Nephilim were lying. Well, did Joshua and Caleb see the Nephilim as well? Sure, but they said we can. God has given it already to us. They trusted God. The others said, "Well, look, we're we're like little ants in in regard to the Nephilim, so we can't do it." Of course, you can't do it. You never could do it. You need oh, to depend God. on God. That's the whole point of this. God took Moses to the border of Canaan early in the 40 years. The, the, the hike from Goshen to Canaan 
if you went directly, was just a short couple of weeks for two or three million people. It, it didn't take 40 years to get there. They, they were like, because you're all women, I'll say this, they were like typical men. They couldn't find their directions and they were afraid to ask. <laughs> no Google yet. No Google Maps. No Google Maps. So, so the spies are sent in, representing all of the people. That's why there are twelve. So, they're representing the entire nation. Two trusted God and ten didn't. They all saw the same thing. They just didn't trust. The ten didn't trust. They didn't. They didn't recognize that God was dependable and that He was able to do what He said He was going to do. Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, God's already given it into our hands. We don't have to worry about it. The other guys, not so much. They, they, they were not trusting in God. They were thinking only of their own capabilities. That's the difference between a business and a, a truly spiritual organization following God. It doesn't make sense business-wise, but it makes sense spiritually. And that's exactly what was going on there. The lack of trust in God resulted in at least 38 more years of wilderness wandering. They had to go back down into Midian. They had to go a long way around. Um, they could have been there in a, in a couple of weeks. But as a result, all of the adults that left uh, Egypt got to die in the desert. It's only their kids and their descendants that got to go into the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. And I would argue their families. Not just Joshua and Caleb, their families as well got to go in. Um, when we fail to trust God, especially after seeing God do great miracles, then uh, our lives will get more and more difficult. Our mission will get harder and harder. God didn't pull the mission from the Hebrews after the report of the spies. You notice that? God didn't say, okay, yeah, you're not going to, you don't have to take the land. They still had to take the land. It just became harder, and he had to do more in them to get them prepared. So he had to kill off the, all the adults, and he had to train all the kids to be soldiers. So it was a, it was a harder mission, and it was, it was a longer time for it to, to occur. Wow, that was weird. The command to take the promised land still remained, but now it would be harder and take longer. Our failure to trust God never results in the mission God gave us. God doesn't say, okay, you don't have to do that. He just says, now it's going to be harder for you. You're going to have to do more work. <laughs> Any questions or comments on that one? Since I always do math, 88 people died a day. So a lot of people were constantly unclean by burying those. Yeah. Because 88 times 360 times 38 is 1.2 million. I'm constantly doing math with everything in life. Yeah, so just think about the logistics of all of that. Mm hmm and the agony of it. And of course, we have several occasions when several thousand die in a day. Mm 
Just think how hard it is to bury someone in the desert. Oh yeah, desert desert doesn't shovel well. No, no. Either too soft or too hard. Yeah. Exactly. Or you, or you thought you got them buried, but the wind blew, and there they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah, that would be the two top part. Okay. Read numbers uh, 1522. What's, I, I'm doing a lot of principle tonight. What's the principle in this verse? Numbers 1522. But if you sin unintentionally, do not observe all, the, uh, all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses. What are we, what are we talking about here? I'm wondering if it was more about the clean and unclean laws that you sinned unintentionally, because it's pretty hard to not know if you sinned from the moral law. Okay, that's good. Yeah, you have to look at where this this verse is in the con- the, the context of this verse. What, what's what's being talked about here in chapter fifteen? Sacrifices. Sacrifices. But this, this section gives us some legal instruction that we didn't get before in Leviticus. In this particular fo- uh, verse, the focus is on unintentional sin. That, that's, a, that's a concept that's kind of difficult. Um, most of the time we think of sin as having some sort of intent. There are some sins and crimes that don't have specific intent as a as a part of the the elements of the crime. But we often think about sins as something we do or something that we think, something that is active. But here it involves something we did not intend to do or even know about that we did it or not do it. We don't have any specifications for these unknown sins in this passage. We don't know what sins Moses is writing about here. What's important is that specific intent is not always a part of what it makes what makes something a sin. Fifteen twenty two is in the middle of a section concerning offerings and and uh, sacrifices. This leads me to believe that unintentional sins related to the sacrifices they were to give. In effect, the failure to offer what they were supposed to offer whether the people knew it or not. Now, framing the sin as a failure to offer something you were supposed to offer, what does that then lead you to think about? Well, was it for like forgiveness? Well, forgiveness, obviously, because we're talking about a, about a sin, but... Who would be responsible for the the Hebrews in the wilderness not knowing about a, an offering or a sacrifice they were to, supposed to do? The leadership, right? Moses, Aaron, the rest of the priests, and the 70 that were anointed as leaders in Israel. The, uh, the, the heads of the clans and so forth. So... In effect, the failure to offer what they were supposed to offer uh, is talking, I think, about a failure of the spiritual leadership 
who was to lead them through that process. Was it Moses? Was it Aaron? I don't know. Was it their clan? I, I think it's probably... I would argue, since we're not told it's Moses or Aaron, I would argue it's probably more related on the on the clan level, because we have we have two occasions where where we see instructions that they were to appoint representatives for each clan. It's where the Sanhedrin ultimately comes from, and they were responsible for bring, for for disseminating the information. There's no way Moses and Aaron could talk to everybody. You know, Moses didn't record a podcast that everybody listened to. And so, you know, if they weren't in a place like when they got into Israel and they could sit on the side of the mountain and everybody in the valley could hear, there's only a couple of places like that. But in the wilderness, they didn't have that. So how did the information get to the families so they knew what to do? There's there's a process. Say that again. Trickle down. Trickle down, exactly. And I think that's what we're seeing here, is there's a failure of spiritual leadership to bring the information to the people where they needed it. I think another another part, part, just just my my, my own thinking, what I was thinking about this is, every time we're committing a sin of certain certain types, types, you had to go and bring a sacrifice. Well, well, I'm here to tell you, if I was living in that time, I wouldn't be able to do it because I wouldn't have a big enough flock to bring them in sacrifices. Right. And that was the same thing for all of those people. So there had to be some way to deal with that. Because... Goodness, Goodness knows, knows, I might, I, might, I send, I what, maybe 20, 20 dimes a day or more? I can't bring them any sacrifices. I think the principle from this passage is anytime that uh, we do not do what God tells us to do, it's a sin. I think that's clear, right? We, we see that over and over in the giving of the law. If we're in a situation where we don't know what to do, and we don't know what God has told us to do, we have to depend on our spiritual leadership to teach us. My, why, why does God hold me doubly accountable? Why does God hold me accountable for your souls? Because I'm responsible to teach you what you're supposed to know. And when I don't do that, God goes after me doubly, but he doesn't let you off the hook. Notice that, this, that, the, that in, this, in this verse... It was not directed at Moses and Aaron and the priest. There's going to be unintentional sin. Okay, you didn't know. But you also didn't make your spiritual leadership make you know. It's holding the people accountable for the spiritual leadership doing their job. I talk about this in church all the time. You have a responsibility to know. I have a responsibility, and God holds me doubly accountable to teach you, but you have a responsibility to know. Nothing changes in the church. Except, I I forget, I think it was in in a series I'm previewing for Sunday School coming up. Um, I think it was Frank Turk that said, we don't need to do it, we didn't do away with the priesthood, um, in the church 
we need to do away with the laity because we're all responsible for toward to God. You know, the priesthood of the individual believer he was working on. Okay. We have so the call. Aside, we, go ahead, Sybil. Nothing was written down, not even how the Ark of the Covenant was and everything around it was supposed to be built. It was all orally delivered or was that written down? No, I, I think... I think Moses was a was a good note or record keeper. The Egyptians were known for that, and he he was trained in that. And I see Charlton I see Charlton Heston doing that in the movies, so it, it has to be true. Um, <laughs> Will you believe what you really believe? <laughs> is really true. Uh, I I think the concept that scripture particularly the five books of Moses were not written is is a, an attempt to remove them from being god inspired when we have the when we we started having textual criticism and sorry to say this Sybil by the the know. by the Germans um, that's really who started liberal textual criticism um, in the eight, in the uh, 1800s, early uh, 1900s, maybe even uh, early 1800s, when they started that movement, and they started this documentary uh, theory uh, that it was all oral tradition, and somebody recorded them much later, they would argue that they were recorded at the time of the uh, of the uh, exile. Moses recorded the books of Moses when he received them now did he did he sit there with a with a notepad as god was giving him the 10 commandments write it down no i think that was part of what moses did as he went along um did a scribe come along and clean up the grammar and uh, the spelling I, I i don't have a problem with that because god can inspire the, sp the scribe too but i i i would argue that the Hebrews coming out of Egypt would know how to read and write. Certainly Moses would. And uh, he recorded, I think, uh, and well-documented. Uh, and I think the documentary theory that is popular in, uh, in liberal uh, textual critics has no merit. Well, it was a question from the Germans to ask you, and I had forgotten. Then when you said trickle down, then I remember I was supposed But they would ask it because that's what they believe. Right, and because that's what that's what has been taught in in most, certainly in all the state churches, and in anything that has been influenced by the state churches. Um, that was one of the things that uh, Bonhoeffer was adamant about is that the textual criticism that was going on in Germany um, be dealt with and, and eliminated the liberal textual criticism has done a great deal of harm to the authority of scripture well to our, our understanding of the authority of scripture 
Right. Yeah, I just wish that when uh, when uh, they camped at Mount Sinai that they had GPS coordinates. That'd be nice. Because I don't, I don't believe modern Mount Sinai is is the right place. It doesn't fit the biblical narrative. Why Randy doesn't doesn't say more about this? I don't know. We've argued this on several occasions. It it doesn't fit the narrative when you when you read the description of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai does not fit. Who owned the Sinai Peninsula at the time of the Exodus? Egypt. Egypt. It was just like it is today. It was part of Egypt. So how am I going to escape the the Pharaoh by fleeing to his country? That doesn't make sense. And they camped there for over a year. A long time, yeah. Yeah. On a couple occasions. Yeah, a couple occasions. So it doesn't make sense. Um whether or not it actually is in Saudi Arabia, I can't argue. Uh, I believe it is. I believe Jabal al-Laws is actually the right place um, in Saudi Arabia. This, the, uh, so do the Saudi Arabians, because they don't let Christians get close to it. So it's, it's an interesting deal. But anyway. Why don't they? Because they uh, they don't want it to be they don't want it to be defiled by all of us Westerners coming there to see it. Because Moses is a uh, is a uh, a prophet of Allah as well, and yeah. if if Moses received the law, um, they would they would argue he perverted the law later. But if he received the law, that and in Saudi Arabia they want to they want to maintain that, and so you don't get close to it. But I think that's truly where where Mount Sinai is. There's a couple other locations in uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia that it could be, but I just don't think the, think the Sinai is it. And it was not venerated as Mount Sinai until uh, until the 300 A.D.s when one of the emperor's mothers wanted to build a build yeah, a it was the monastery. Of St. Catherine? Correct. Constantine's, right. Yeah, Constantine's mother. I thought her name was Helen, though. It is Helen. Yeah, Helen. But anyway, he could have had a So that's, we didn't, it wasn't venerated as Mount Sinai until then. And now it is. And so Sinai becomes the the dominant feature of of that peninsula and the peninsula is named Sinai that doesn't mean that's where they were that just means some some cartographer at some point named it that boy did we get far afield on that one sorry i had been debating while we're in numbers exodus and numbers whether or not at some point i would i would talk about that <laughs> Why? Because then maybe I would, I would help you remember not to sin. That was the purpose of the time. Did it work for Israel? No, no. Okay. Why do you think it'll work for you? 
Don't you think they did? Look at all the things God did to show them stuff. Yeah. Among other things. Yeah, right. Any other questions? Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday school begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.